You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Guidepost. We hope you enjoyed a couple of the ones that we've been doing, super technical things, uh, the end of the year wrap up and where we're going with the app. And if y'all haven't listened to those, we've gotten some pretty positive feedback. So take a listen. Today is going to be a little something different. Um, You know, we, uh, we spend a tremendous amount of time on you know technical stuff and the science of fish science and we know that can get a little boring and uh cody and i sat down and we're like hey you know we're really likable uh likable funny guys and just regular folks so we kind of wanted to have a likable funny person regular people podcast where we just kind of dive into ridiculous things and talk about them so we're giving it a shot Today, I have two good buddies and guide association stalwarts, Captain Kyle Schaefer and Blaine Chocolate, and also Cody's joining us, but hes uh, I think he's chasing his dog through some swamp in Florida right now. He'll hop on in a second. Kyle and Blaine, how are y'all doing today, guys? We're good, man. Good to be here. Psych to chat. Yeah, me too, man. It's getting ready to get after it tomorrow, you know. Just are gonna... you? You got a trip tomorrow, Blaine? Oh yeah. Well, supposed to. I'm getting ready to. Um, I'm hosting uh, Mad River uh, Musky Glass deal, and uh, it's getting the shit's getting ready to hit the fan here. We're getting ready to get just waylaid with weather, so it's it's gonna it's gonna be the whole turn chicken shit and chicken salad kind of a deal. It's gonna be uh, probably not a good thing after tomorrow we were even contemplating instead of me doing tying and talking about the muskie and all that stuff tomorrow start try to fish tomorrow and in, in the two to three inches of rain that we're supposed to get it so, always helps when you got a species that bites like once every three and a half months to put really bad weather on top of that it's it's like permit fishing it's like blind fish it's, bl- it's like blind cast a permit you know it's like what what's 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 not to like uh, kyle kyle was just with me he knows how it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I just grinded for a couple of days with Blaine happily and so stoked to to touch a muskie in the afternoon on the second day. But um, but yeah, it was funny because I, I felt the same way. I mean, it's like, man, you know, this is hard, but you just like I feel like the fun in it is just like you keep believing you're like any cast. It can happen. Blaine's obviously not putting you in uh, shitty water. So you're like, I know they're there. They're, we're going to wear them down <laughs> eventually. Yeah, I, I kind of always tell my clients, you got to act like you're a gnat, you know, because, um, you know, it's not like these fish are where, I, where I'm fishing. I mean, I've been doing it for 30 some years, so I know exactly where they are during different parts of the season. So it's kind of like just keep grinding, dude. They're there and uh, half the damn time they're sleeping. So, you know, you just got to get a fly close enough sometimes uh, just to get them to wake up. And that, that, that's, that's real. And, uh, that's partly why muskies are so damn hard to catch. That's also why I call them Esucks instead of Esucks because they <laughs> come from the Esucks family. That's what a muskie is. Esucks musquinange. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Blaine, uh, I'm looking at the weather forecast. I think when this podcast is over with, I'm going to be on a ladder cleaning out my gutters and uh and probably on a on a bigger ladder sawing down some dead limbs because we're looking at like 70 mile an hour gusts tomorrow here and i'm just like oh that's let's see uh wait that's probably about four days without power um 70 mile an hour so uh so yeah i hope they dial this thing back a little bit because i'm not uh three three inches of rain first off you got to be careful uh i'm sure you know the lefty story right you know how he got called lefty one he's left-handed right but two he always casts with his right but you know why he casts with his right because he was doing the exact same thing you're getting ready to do he was cleaning he was cleaning gutters on a, on a ladder and fell and tore his 
tore his uh, left arm up to where he couldn't really use it much anymore as far as casting constantly. I mean, he could do it a little bit, but it was, it was he, he pretty much ruined it. So you know the moral of that story. Don't do, don't do housework. Definitely don't do yard work. I try to avoid that like the plague. That'll be that'll be front of mind for me in about an hour. <laughs> well, folks, this might be the last podcast we do with Tony being the host. So, you know, I, I'm just Pretty saying. Soon we're going to be calling Tony Righty. <laughs> well, I think we got a I think we got a whole uh, East Coast thing going on because I I just got back down to the Bahamas. I'm opening my place up after the winter break, and clients arrive tomorrow, and they're fishing on arrival, and it's a solid forty out of the East. So hopefully this client this uh, this podcast comes out in a few days after these guys have seen a couple good weather days, but we're gonna grind ourselves tomorrow. So we'll at least I'll be in the same boat. Ugh. I call it I call it the struggle bus, and I'm driving it. So you know you hopped on when you got in the boat with me the other day. So uh, welcome to the party. Yep, enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, Blaine, I hope the wind's blowing in the right direction and helps you. Uh, maybe you don't have to row as much tomorrow in the drift boat. You just put up a little, just hang your jacket up and, you know, go against the current for a couple of hours at 60, 70 miles an hour. Shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, we're um, going to be trolling for sure. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's, we're, instead of casting, we're just going to be dapping. So you're going to be dapping. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it's like what's that. It's like that uh that streamer where you just the streamer fishing for trout where you're just going down at seven knots, bombing the banks, two strips, pick it up, do it again for ten hours, you know what I mean? Should be should be a little gamey tomorrow. Um so good luck to Kyle's clients, uh, and good luck to Blaine's clients because uh you signed up. You signed up for it, boys and girls. Now you now you got what you wanted. Um so I got to tell you all, man, I was looking at this thing. Uh, Cody sent me this thing on Instagram, a reel. Um, and uh, and I was just like, you know, if this doesn't define our lives and it's this massive school of redfish and they were uh, they were videotaping it from the boat and they were trying to eat a, a 12 inch crab buoy that had broken loose and you kind of watch it and you think about the hours that we spend tying the perfect flies, pulling people into position, the perfect cast and the irony of a school of 40 to 50 redfish, basically playing soccer with a crab pot buoy in front of a boat. And I bring this up because I'm sure Kyle and Blaine and Cody have some stories to share about the ridiculousness of fishing and probably how we shouldn't take it too seriously, especially when you see a redfish trying to eat. I mean, it, dude, I, the one that I'll say to kind of kick it off is, you know, uh, for a couple weeks in the spring, the giant carp spawn by me. And it's hard for me not to take like a 30 minute work break and run down to these little tidal ponds and uh, especially when my son's home and get him to catch some giant carp on a tiny fly and like a six weight. Um, and last year we spent 30 incredibly frustrating minutes watching a school of giant carp basically play whack-a-mole with an oak leaf. And uh, there was no explanation for it. There was nothing that we could do, but I literally watched them pass an oak leaf back and forth and we, if I had dynamite, I probably would have lit it and thrown it into the pond to teach him a lesson. But I, Blaine's raising his hand over here. Y'all can't see on the video. So I'm going to shut up and talk about the, you know, how serious we take fishing. And when it comes right down to it, man. Well, I can tell you right now, first off, I never get to see that kind of fishing ever. So like I said, struggle bus is where I'm driving, you know, so. I'm just, I'm always trying to keep it between the mustard and the mayonnaise, you know, just keeping it on the road. So, uh, um, first off, seeing that kind of pisses me off because it does kind of blow holes in my whole fly design and uh, fish and concept. And, you know, so I'm going to change, I'm going to, this is my theory on what was going on there. All right. So, um, <laughs> redfish can be stupid at times, but they also could be very smart. And I'm, I'm not going to throw them under the bus yet, but my, my theory is, 
they just happened on these fish that were trying to get crabs that were attached to the crab pot. That's my that's my theory, and that's where I'm going to go with it because I can't ever see that kind of fishing, which is not true. We we definitely have some good fishing at times like that, um, you know. But I eventually is going to have a, a game changer crab pot. It's just going to be right. a bunch of tanks that build a crab pot together, and they'll be throwing with like 14 articulated crabs holding on to it. When you strip, they all move at once in different directions. I oh, see yeah. the light bulb going off in his head, man. Yeah. But I cannot accept the fact that they were just hitting it for no reason. I think I think there had to be some crabs that were attached to it, and they were trying to get them off of it. That's and then they started a feeding frenzy because one buddy wanted wanted a piece of it and all that. That's that's where I'm going to stay with it. But uh, I got to give them a little bit more credit than that. I'm going to go the opposite way and just say that they're excited for the World Cup coming up soon, and that they're just in full on sport and recreation mode. Um, no, I, you know, Tony, when you said, uh, when you teed up a phrase, you said like not taking things too seriously. Um, it's funny. So in college, I used to fish in the FLW bass series. So we used to travel around and represent the university of Maine and fish in all the tournaments. And, you know, you know how serious the bass game is. And I know a lot, Blaine's talked about it a lot. There's a lot of in, innovation and inspiration that comes from bass that transitions into the salt and the other way around. But I remember going to fish a tournament on the Potomac river and we would get down there a week early and we got our practice day set up and you're fine tuning in like, all right, I'm going to do a drop shot with this hook and no, it's gotta be 16 pound. No, I'm going to go to 12 pound. I, I think they're a little spooky and you're, you're like all dialed in. We got these sparkly boats, all this gear, way more gear than a hundred anglers need for two people for one day. And the guys who came in either second or third out of like 56, 60 boats were these two dudes who barely met the specifications for the boat. It was like an aluminum boat. It was like the smallest motor in the whole tournament. And they putted a couple hundred yards away from the ramp. One of them stood on the uh, bow and threw a uh, frog all day. And he caught like a six and a five and like put together this huge live. Well, the other guy read a book the entire day. And they beat everyone else that was taking it way too seriously. So I know it's not related to what the fish are actually eating. They caught them on a frog. But like sometimes you definitely get those humbling moments where you think you're the expert. You think you're all dialed in. And the best way is just to go out and fish, baby. That's so true. I feel like I'm – so I'm right now taking a break from running a guide training with five incredible Bahamian guides I think, I mean, you combine the years of experience, it's something like 170 years. Um, and all we're talking about is controlling your variables, whether it's communicating with your client. And then you see something like that with 50 redfish batting around a crab trap, probably stinks like blue crab. And they're just all over it. It's just like, well, you know what? And then you see something like that with 50 redfish batting around a crab trap, probably stinks like blue crab, and they're just all over it. It's just like, well, you know what? You control as many variables as you can, but there's nothing like stumbling upon something incredible. You know, it's just such a, such a riot. We, this past summer, we had a really cool big bass bite. It was a very localized thing that went on. And as the summer went on, these, these fish would stray away from like this main zone that they were in. And something I found that like I'd end up in this like lobster pot zone three miles offshore. And sure enough, I feel like those fish would get bored. They'd start looking around for their next feed and you'd find these schools of fish, these little satellite schools that would break off and they'd end up feeding in these uh, in these lobster pot zones, uh, and then they'd come back to home base. But um, yeah, we think we're pretty uh, pretty slick controlling all of our variables and uh, and, and honing yep. in. But nothing nothing makes up for uh, the right element at the right time. Well, Kyle, Kyle, talk about on the the tarpon scene, right? Like, oh, you need a three aught toad, not a two aught toad. You need that's a chartreuse crab. You you actually need an olive crab. Like the, all the details that go into the keys community, and a lot of those details do matter on the flats. But like the guys that crank out the most tarpon in my neck of the woods got bait on the bottom. Giant lead wet. Like in the end, they're just fish, and that sometimes they want the easiest meals. So we put. And that happens a lot, I know, with permits, especially down your way, right? You put them on the pedestal for, like, this is the formula to getting them. And in the end, it's just like, dude, they they just got a couple things they like to eat. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. I got a great one. So it's supposed to be an expert at, at um, flies and fish and all this kind of crap. But um, 
talk about humbling moments. Um, this probably 25 years ago, maybe, maybe longer, um, had the smallmouth bass dialed in back when the smallmouth bass was incredibly strong, just hundred fish days. Um, just, it was just incredible. It was a typical summer day and, uh, I was taking two friends out and, um, and, uh, we were, we were dialed in on the bug bite, you know, the top water bug bite. So we're, you know, and I'm, it was kind of slow. It was kind of rainy here and there, but we were getting a few fish and this, the guy, my buddy's friend who I didn't know that well, he's like, you know what I'm going to, he goes, I'm going to put on a bitch Creek. I'm like, what? We're bass fishing. I'm going to put on a bitch Creek. I'm like, no, man, you can't do that. It's like, we're trying to catch a trophy. It's like, we're not, you're not going to do that. I mean, and I'm like, I just kind of rolled my eyes. It's like, really? You're really going to do it? And he goes, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to try this. I'm like, all right. So I'm like, of course, I've already put myself in a spot. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, it's going to happen. So I'm not shitting you. First cast with a bobber. I mean, he had an indicator on. He's nip fishing for smallmouth bass in a slow pool, too, I, I might add. First cast, he catches like a five pounder. That's karma. You know, that's the, that's the kind of stuff that happens to me, right? So, you know, it's the exact opposite. And I guarantee you, uh, all of us here are guides. And, and, and as soon as you say something or, yep. or say it's not going to happen for a client or whatever, it's going to happen 100%. Yeah. It's like picking up the rod with, from a client to show them something and you catch, you catch a giant fish, right? I mean, it's well, the it's same. lose, right? Because if you're yeah, right, you then they don't have the experience they want. So you still lose. If you're wrong, then they were right, and you, the expert, weren't right. So you lose again. It really is like it's it's uh once you walk yourself into that point, you kind of act like shit. I shouldn't have said that. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Right? But uh, but that's how that's how it works for me. And I, I don't know about you. How about you guys? I mean, I, have you you got to have a story like that, right? I mean, I, I love it with you know. So I'm just coming at it from the Bahamas perspective because I'm down here right now. You know, we've got, we've got these, these flats that they, they can be technical at times. And we've got, you know, my normal language is like, you know, we've got to be fishing small bead chain eye flies. Like, you know, if you want to throw an eight and you're confident with it, like it's a really, you know, bone fisher easily going to mistake that. than if you're fishing this one odd big, big thing. And every now and again, you know, I love it. Cause I got eight Guinea pigs that are out there trying different stuff. And like every now and again, somebody comes in and they're like, I want to fish this like four inch bait fish pattern, the bone fish. We had, so we had somebody from the keys that did that. I highly suggested, I don't think you're going to feed many fish, man. Uh, he came back and he absolutely lit fish up. I think he, he had the right element. He had good weather. Fish were pretty happy, but I was like, you know, go on, man, please try some different stuff. Cause you just never, you know, we just get like pigeonholed into like, you know, we want everyone to be successful. So like, here's the things we know and we trust. And then somebody does this outlier thing and, uh, and smokes it. I'm, I'm not saying that's going to work every day, but it's, it's, I love that. I love it. I love learning from people's, um, you know, kind of playing outside the lines a little bit. I've had uh, someone bring up triple tail in the boat like 12 times. And I'm like, yeah, it's totally random. You know, we might see one. We might see one. Oh, I hope we see a triple tail. You know, like focus on all the other great things we might do today. And coming back in, incoming tide, there's this beautiful blue water. We're literally going to the ramp and we go buy a pair of like giant triple tail, 10 pound, giant for our area, you know, 10 pounders floating on the surface. I don't know, 60 yards from the boat ramp. Right. So it's like one of those things where you're like, just shut up about triple tail, the odds we see them. But it's like the, somehow the client can manifest, the angler can manifest. But if the guide said triple tail, triple tail, triple tail, 10,000 times, you're not going to see one in 10,000 trips. But then the angler is like, man, I hope this doesn't happen or I hope we see this. And it always, it's like to a T. Magic of holding down the bow, I guess. Oh, yeah. I've seen that over the years. As soon as you talk about it, I mean, it happens 100%. Like, you know, past couple of seasons, um, figure eight eats or just getting figure eight or follows has not been, um, a big deal for me, you know, um, just cause I mean, I can go into the details of what I think and a lot of it's pressure, lower water generally and whatever. Sure enough, man. Some, somebody talks about figure eights. You ever get one on a figure eight? How, how often do you get a figure eight eat? It's going to happen. Guarantee it'll happen that day. hundred percent does all the time. Kyle, I even had one come in. Um, on a, on a eight for him 
um, peeled off, but you know, he swiped at it out of nowhere. Like that's why I tell everybody always figure eight. Right. I mean, it's like, even though you don't see a fish, yeah. it's going to happen. That's awesome. Cast planes like they're laying right there on that bank. They're sitting and we just need one to wake up and eat a fly. And then like every strip you're improving your perspective. And then all of a sudden you're, you're figure eighting that thing. And that fish comes out of left field. I, that is just nothing cooler than that. That is like seeing one in the figure eight, I feel like is motivative. And then all of a sudden you're, you're figure eighting that thing. And that fish comes out of left field. I, that is just nothing cooler than that. That is like seeing one in the figure eight, I feel like is motivated. It's interesting because typically like seeing the other one of the many pinnacles, obviously it's a personal experience for your goals for fishing, but like one of the more general pinnacles of fly fishing is seeing the fish from far away, getting to sight cast to it, communicating with it over the longest cast. And it's like the muskie takes all of that out of the equation and people still geek out on them. And it's such an amazing experience. So it's funny how all these fish have their own niches for how you can interact with them. But it's like, if, if, if permit fishing was 10,000 casts and you're never actually going to see it and then they're going to grab it right next to the boat, how many people would permit fish? But for muskies, like that fits, that's their tail, right? That, that fits the story. It's cool how it, there's a niche for everything, you know? Speaking of figure eights, how many different species of fish have you guys figure eighted? Have you, have you guys? I know, I'll oh, start. Oh, listen. No, no, no. Uh, summer flounder. Mm -hmm. Listen, I wait for <laughs> those things. How does that even work? How do Dude, they it's so much fun. Fly? Listen, <laughs> they, it looks like a doormat right like behind your fly and they'll put their nose right on the fly and you're out there wading like a quarter of a mile off the beach and all you have because you're waiting all you have to do is spin in a circle like a damn turnstile and they'll follow it and i can't tell you i tell this i used to take people doing that all the time and i'd tell them figure eight it every cast just spin in a circle before you bring that fly in because you never know you never know what's behind that fly. I've had little tiny ones. Like I've had like a six pounder behind the fly and like a damn 11 incher, like six inches from my left foot while I'm waiting, shoots up and grabs a damn fly while you're figure eighting and it spooks the bigger fish off. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, did that just happen? Like, are you Joe? I would have stomped that thing if I knew it was by my foot. I had a, I, I took them, uh, I call those bodyguards that happens totally all the time. dude and you're just like why why is that like why did you just do that to me so I took this dad and his son out and you know like I know Cody does a lot of Cody does a lot of family type of type of trips and he loves it you know when the when the kids light up and they catch some fish and you really you know when you do that it's almost like the younger the kids the better the experience because sometimes you can get like a teenage kid that's like my dad's making me do this and it sucks and i i got <laughs> i got an xbox tournament later on well i got one of them and um and i kept like pumping them up and and you know this kind of kills me on the inside because it was the perfect day it was it, it, the conditions were perfect which means it was miserable outside you know it was raining it was a little windy. It's probably like 15 knots, but it created just enough disturbance on the top of the water to where the flounder were comfortable and they didn't give a shit and they were going to eat and they were there. And, uh, and I knew it like 15 minutes into the day, the dad like popped a real nice one. It was like three, four pounds. And I was like, man, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. Well, this kid complained that his wading boots were too tight. It was cold. I had every piece of extra rain gear I had in my truck on the kid. Yeah, you know, just trying to make the best out of it. The dad's on Blaine's struggle bus, trying to get the kid, you know, excited about it. And I look over and the kid's rod is just doubled. And I'm like, oh my God, he's got a giant. You know, he's got he has a giant. And I see this fish, man. It's like it's like six seven pound flounder and i'm just like holy jesus so like here we go and the kid's just like not even he's just like ah, it's, <laughs> it sucks and like brings the thing in i net the thing and i'm like man and the dad's like let's take a picture so i got the thing in the net and with my left hand i kind of put the rod over his shoulder and the fly goes down into the water and i'm going to hand the kid the flounder 
and another flounder the same size ate the fly off the top of the water. I've never seen it before. I've never hmm. seen it since. And the kid was like annoyed. And I kind of looked at the dad and I think my son was probably like two years old at the time. And I was like, is it okay to drown a teenage kid? Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's okay. Like, would you like me to do it? Or is your dad, do you want to do it personally? Um, but it was just one of those, you know, it was one of those experiences where like, I don't know, I don't really question what happens because I figured a good Lord's got a plan, but man, to talk about like what a day, like the most biblically epic day ever where like you just want people who would appreciate it you know who just had like bad day after bad day and you get this kind of get this person on there that's like my feet hurt it's cold i don't like the rain and you're just Is like, it always this windy captain yeah yeah do you always suck you know what i mean and you're just like and you're gonna you're gonna out of all the thousands of people you're getting today okay that seems I fair am. We have a couple places where we can go park the boat and get out and walk and wade and fish like pompano and bonefish and stuff. It's kind of like a, a little bit quieter thing that goes on here. Um, and uh, now I'm going to have to beep out this whole part of the episode. But uh, um, I had a group of guys and we were walking down there. I said, oh, do you see permit here? And I said, you know, maybe like one or two a year. We'll see kind of like charge up into the river and come up to this certain area. And uh, I think we caught one or two pompano on the fly. You catch them off the back of spotted eagle rays which is really cool. So you're on foot, you run down the beach, you see the spot of the Eagle Ray, you get the pompano that are behind them. Just like, I'm sure it's the same thing the permit do, Kyle, just like practice size. We get them like one to three pounds. And uh, we were walking back to the boat and he was just doing the like classic, like ADD fly fisherman, like just, you know, cast it, rip it back off the water, water hauling it. And, and then he goes, oh crap, I got something. And it pops. And I'm not kidding you, like a five, six pound permit just goes sprinting by my feet. And he's like, what was that? And I'm like, do you actually want to know? Like in my head, I'm like, if I say it, it might end up being a lot worse than if I just go like, I don't know, it's probably, you know, ladyfish. But yeah, that was the, that's the only permit I've had hooked on fly in shallows in my years of fishing here. And it was a totally F off moment where we were walking back to the boat dropped must have dropped it on its head turn around stung it and he was holding the line it broke right away well now you got your now you got your perfect uh cody zone permit presentation dude so did everybody take notes <laughs> on that sounds like you got to slap the water um it, it like that that kind of gets him jacked up um you and then, be like, after, like, right on top of them. walk right at them you have like your phone playing some bad music, <laughs> yeah. talking about which you know bar you're gonna go get drinks at after, and step right on top of them, and then snag their ass. I don't know. I guess that's the secret sauce. Somehow, somehow we got off the conversation of figure eight eats. You know, I, I kind of I want to hear I want to hear a little bit more about that. But uh. I feel like I feel like you asking that question. There is some goodness buried into why you're even asking that question. It's making me question why I haven't ever figureated anything really other than when I've musky fished a handful of times, but dude, I can picture like our rocks program for stripers. Um, I mean, you know, you're gradually, you're getting your fly into deeper and deeper water as you, as you return to the, your fly to the boat, like figure eighting that deep, I bet you'd pick up some, uh, yeah, I've been tunnel vision that it's only for, for musky. So thanks for, for cueing that there. I'm with Kyle. I feel like Blaine has an initiative here and it's like, Blaine's the kid in class. It's like, Hey, on number seven on the homework, did you get a or B? And you're like, there was a number seven. Like we were supposed to be doing that. That's how I yeah. feel right now. So no, it's uh, it's a thing, man. It really is. Uh, I've uh, I figure aided trout. I figure aided brown trout on streamers. I figure aided smallmouth and largemouth. I figure aided stripers. And one of my favorite figure eight fish are cobia. I figure aided cobia a bunch. Um, a lot of cobia. They're they're very similar to muskies in a way on, on how they behave, especially pressured cobia. Um, like in the bay here. I mean, they're just they're absolutely just being pummeled on a daily basis there's probably average of 50 to 100 boats out every day with cobia towers so these fish can be very picky and uh you know getting them to the boat and figure and getting a, a big one i mean i had one a couple years ago it was probably 70 pounds uh that ate on a figure eight um after a bunch of turns it just smoked it and of course just like a lot of figure eights Somehow that fish came unbuttoned after about five minutes of fighting it. 
So I'm not sure how that happened, but um, of course, you know, my that would have been my biggest Kobe ever. But uh, it's really interesting how you can you can tweak these fish. Any a lot of predatory fish, to be honest. I mean, you know, uh, pike. You know, I was up at Wollaston several years ago, and I was asking them if they ever get pike figure eight eats, and they say no. They don't. They're, they're we don't ever get that. Um, we don't think that they will. And of course, talking yourself into something like we talked about earlier, man, I, I figure eighted several fish that week um, and converted them from follows to eats. Um, so it's it's something. It's a thing. That's a little tidbit for me today. But, um, you know, I think uh, I think there's a lot of fish species that, you know, um, maybe whatever the fly is not doing exactly what they want to see. And then you start showing profile and start taking away from them at the boat. I mean, you, I mean, you've seen those crazy videos of bass anglers just doing these super fast back and forth figure eights for, for largemouth pulling them up. Um, it's kind of the same deal. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's, I think you'd be amazed how many fish what you can convert by doing that. Well, you got to figure if you get a, if you get a fish off of the bottom and it's at the boat, you already have like, you know, it's, it's, it, you're trying to get them over the hump, right? Like that once they, you convert them to that level to get an eat, you know, that's the whole goal is getting them up to a hundred and hitting that rev limit. So when you get them up to the boat and they're in pursuit of what you have, you're already so close. So it is a pretty good lesson to, you know, stay committed to your cast and don't bail out. You're almost like your, your brain wants you to think like, Oh, I had a chance. Like the moment you kind of see them drift off a little or they're close, like, Oh, I almost had that one versus you quit on it so much quicker than you should. So Blaine, you know, as you were talking, I just thought about, you know, growing up, kind of like tennessee fishing northern mississippi mostly um there's this lure and i i got one i saved one somewhere i don't know where it is i'd show y'all but it was basically like it was called a go devil and uh and it was just massive treble hook this is in the 70s it's a massive treble hook and it had a huge buzz bait blade and it was basically like an inline spinner. And then it just had feathers on the hook, like real dense feathers. And they were like two colors. One was like red and white, which was like cardinal. And the other was red winged blackbird. And, you know, if you fish in the South, you know, these birds nest in the reeds and they nest in the cypress like fields. And, the little bird falls out of that nest and a bass going to eat it in about five seconds. And I have, I have seen multiple times in my life, a red winged blackbird holding onto a reed like sideways and a bass come up and eat it just whoop, and gone. Now, I mean, they, so how you'd fish these things, you get a real stout cane pole and you put like 40 pound test on the tip and then just double it up on the butt of the cane pole. And you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have two and a half feet of line and you tie that go devil on and you just sit in like a 14 foot John boat with a, with a paddle, make sure your paddle didn't hit the side of the boat and just kind of skull through those cypress fields. And the whole time you're just back and forth, chop, 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 chop with that go devil. And I'm here to tell you, I mean, I know it was a different time and place, but I saw more eight plus pound bass caught doing that with the guys in the glitter boats and every, you know, cause BASS was the heyday. I have never seen anything more effective. And, and essentially all that was was stealth mode being stu super quiet in the springtime when these little birds are hatching and just working real slow and methodically. Cause you know, those cypress knees come up and it's like a donut around the cypress tree and it's, there is nothing between that root ball, the root ball is like a donut and the cypress knees come up and that's how the cypress trees breathe. But in between that donut and the tree, it's empty. So you get all those huge fish will just stay in there inside that root ball in the tree. And you sit there with like a 10 foot cane pole, just and man, it's like heart attack fish. But that, that entire strategy it's probably long since lost except for old guys like me who remember it but that was basically figure eight only thing you're doing only thing you're doing all day long is figure eight and then it would drive huge bath bananas 
Well, so. I'm going to throw another tangent because this is just a conversation of continual tangents and I love it. But to hop into the con- uh, conservation realm for a second, we've talked about uh, bass fishing a lot here. And I'm sure some people are like, I thought this was the Saltwater Guides Association. What is this crap? But to look back on those green fish, Tony, we talked about doing a podcast with someone a while ago and got crazy busy and it never manifested. But the bass fishing industry was one of those first pioneers of conservation, what Ray Scott did with bass fishing and they did a release your a release your catch campaign and i mean when you look at sportsmen as far as their ability to get the most value out of a single individual fish that's caught over and over and over again all the research that's been done and all of this stuff i know there's a lot of showmanship that goes into the the craziest scales of bass fishing but those guys are really committed to the products that go into their live wells and the live well systems about how to take care of their fish and there's there's something to be said there for uh I think Ray Scott passed away about a year and change ago, I believe. But uh, you can look up those original campaigns. And it was controversial back then, too, when he made the whole, like, release your catch campaign. And this is not a this is not my own personal campaign for catch and release only. We've talked about all the time that we're, you know, we we harvest fish and everyone can do their own uh, balance of the two of them. But the bass fishing industry was one of the leaders in conservation. I'm surprised you even know about that. That was a long time ago. <laughs> I think I was negative 36. I think uh, my dad hadn't even thought about having a first kid with my mom at that point. So, yeah, a little before my time. But, hey, if we can't learn from history, we repeat it. Let's not even look. Look, man, Cody, I, I said it on Lou's podcast, the podcast I did with Lou and the app. When I was a kid, you could buy bass in a corner grocery store. Like little little grocery store in Mississippi, you go in, they have a little refrigerated section, bass and buffalo and whatever, just laying the crappie, laying on the ice. They go in and buy some for supper. And I I mean, if you did that nowadays, some guy would appear out of the closet with like 40 logos on his jersey and just sock you in the face right away. You dude, you can't, you can't get me to not say what I'm going to say now. Like, Lord, forgive me. Here we go. Uh, I guess that, I guess this was the goal of this podcast, but you know, I sit, I sit here and every once in a while I look at social media and I just want to bang my head against the desk for a day or two until it's a bloody pulp because you have these folks and they'll, they'll be fishing like the freshwater tribs around here and they'll catch the smallmouth. Blaine, forgive me for saying this. They'll catch the smallmouth here. Smallmouth are not native here. They're native other places. But in where I live, very specifically, they are not native here. And these guys will treat smallmouth like they're angel's wings. Like, you know, they're like, oh, look at this smallmouth. And then they catch a striper and they're like, clunk, like right on the head, put it on a stringer. And I'm like, the smallmouth are doing fine here and they're non native. And you're clunking a striper on the head and killing it, and they're in they're in a very bad place. So that kind of drives me, you know. I'm just saying, like the conservation for freshwater is generationally ahead. Even the freshwater anglers are like, "Oh my god, I caught a smallmouth. I must protect it." And then they catch a saltwater fish a quarter of a mile away in the trib, and they just beat it with a billy club and throw it on the kayak, and you're like. Yeah, I don't think you understand this very well. It's very strange, right? And I, I think between trout and largemouth bass, it's conditioned. It's e- even freshwater anglers who would never kill those fish and treat them like, you know, like they were the tr- this treasured thing. They catch saltwater fish and kill it immediately and think it's okay. I don't know. Discuss, team, because this has perplexed me for ages. Oh, dude, you are you're speaking my language. Uh, you know, I, I think some, some people that's listening probably, probably saw over the past, I don't know, five years, I've written several articles about concert, um, uh, controversial topics. Some, uh, some of which, one of which was the forgotten ones article. Um, I talked about, uh, Bowfin talked about all these dinosaurs that we have all over our country that get neglected on a daily basis. Again, this isn't saltwater, but I mean, bowfin, uh, gar, um, uh, paddlefish, um, all these ancient fish just get 
really uh, overlooked and get treated like crap. And it's really funny. Uh, and this is tying into another thing that I talked about, another article I did that was very, which was super controversial because it was about snakeheads, which soon as they, and this is, I'm going to debunk this whole mystery about snakeheads right now is a lot of people hate them because they're, they were deemed soon as they were found in Maryland and Virginia, they were deemed invasive species. And by definition, go, go look up the definition of invasive. Um, they have not been invasive. They are a non-native fish species. It's actually made the waters that they live in now healthier because it's an apex predator and it's kind of put largemouth bass in check. And it's hel- it's it, it, and Tony, I know you have uh, snakeheads all over your your area where you live, um, and you know uh, the whole COVID thing. Me traveling a lot, you know, all over the place. Um, I was locked down and wasn't able to. Uh, to go on these trips I go to go on all the time. So I kind of rediscovered my area and I hadn't caught snakeheads yet. Um, and then I, you know, I had a guy at Grand Alvis who's probably, I would say most knowledgeable snakehead um, angler that I, I know of. Um, but so I thought it was important to, to write this article about snakeheads, not a uh, non-native species. I'm not going to ever call them invasive because they're not um, because the definition means they, 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 negatively impact the fisheries that they they live in but the problem is you have all these people that were making comments on fly fisherman magazines um instagram and facebook just all these people up in arms about it and you one it was one particular guide i'm not gonna throw him under the bus but there was one guide that was um that i I looked him up after he made this stupid comment about how terrible it was for fly fishermen to condone such a uh, such a bad fish and whatnot, and it pissed me off because I'm in a position where I can't say a lot of times what I really feel. But just because you get you know the way social media is these days, you get just you can get pummeled. Um, but the but it really pissed me off because I looked at this guy's Instagram and he's a guide and he guides for tr- brown trout uh, and rainbow trout um, in Virginia. Um. And I'm like, you know what? Those fish are not native either. And they've definitely negatively impacted native species that live in those streams that they live in now. You know, uh, so this this is a long story, but it, it's it's something that it really irritates me going on what Tony said is like, you know what? I mean, you have all these bass anglers and you're right. I mean, smallmouth bass are not native to the James River drainages. None of the drainages that flow into the Atlantic Ocean, they're not native. Um, they possibly could be native to the New River because it flows into the Ohio and all that, and those are where smallmouth bass are native. But it's it's funny how people get on their high horse about what's native and not, and want to talk about conservation and everything. But we have all these fish that we love, and I love trout just the same. I look at fish species as another opportunity to catch something, and I'm not condoning stocking non-native species into in their waters. But I mean, that goes back to the whole bowfin snakehead and, uh, and you got all these people that are bow hunting them and killing them. And there's not any regs in a lot of States. You know, I did a thing on meat eaters, um, DOS boats deal with, when I was fishing up at Lake Champlain and, and trying to bring light to bowfin up there in Lake Champlain, because they're, they're bow hunting them almost to death and uh, trying to get regulations made on that stuff. But, you know, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not condoning non-native species, but what I am condoning is like, you have to have an open mind and and, and you can't, you can't be it just because you're a trout angler, start looking down on everything else and think that it's okay. It's not because most, most trout in our country are not native where a lot of us fish, you know, especially in the South. Um, brook trout, which isn't a trout, it's a char, um, or our true only native fish on the East Coast. You know, and I know, Kyle, you're up there in Maine and all, and you have native brook trout. Um, and it's just it's just funny how, you, you know, you can get on a soapbox and start preaching about things. And you're really you're really looking through that keyhole that I talk about a lot. So I'm going to shut up for a minute and let you guys talk. But I think it's so interesting. I mean, Blaine's observations are just just so, so interesting because, I mean, the culture around all this stuff is so complex. I mean, you think about how bluefin tuna were treated in the eighties. I mean, it's, you know, and, and now look at where, now look at where these fish are. They were almost like 
wasted, not eaten, ended up as dog food in the eighties. And now they're like one of the most high dollar grossing fish in the, in the world, you know, traveling the world to end up on a, on a plate going through so many different hands, such a complex process. I think the interesting thing to acknowledge is that like, we can change some of the culture where and when it's appropriate, but it takes a lot of work and there's just so much momentum in certain directions. And like, I feel like my thoughts on it are, are pretty vague and pretty open-minded, but I mean, even look at where you've ended up with, with tarpon over the past 50 years, you know, I mean, I, I see a tarpon getting lifted out of the water and it, and it, and it signals something in my brain where you used to see those fish hanging from a hook, hanging from a scale at the end of a dock. Um, so it's really cool just to see like how far we've come with some, some really incredible, valuable species. And, you know, I'm with Tony. I mean, I think, you know, I want to see stripers get a little bit more love for sure. I'm, you know, um, I support how we all, you know, re- use these, uh, wonderful resources within reason. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, it takes some momentum. And, and to put a bow on all this, cause it, it, you know, it almost feels like a couple different tangents going off each other, but they all come back. If you come up to a high level to what ASGA's ethos is, which is resource forward, right? Like the goal is what, what is the healthiest possible state for this resource? And that requires a really nuanced conversation. And we're in living in the world of five second attention spans where you swipe between people screaming, jumping off boats into whales and, you know, a bunch of kids doing choreographed dances and wherever the hell like this, this is the new age. It's a million news headlines every two seconds. So how the hell can four of us knuckleheads foster a thoughtful, nuanced conversation about these things? And that's the goal for ASGA is recognizing that everyone has different goals for their angling experience, but the goal is the resource and that resources don't have an explicit, true guideline. Like Blaine talked about, that these fish make sense one place and totally don't make sense another and everywhere in between. And uh, I have, you know, I'm not talking from a high pedestal about like, oh, I am the nuanced man that controls these conversations. I've learned a ton. One of my favorite fish through college is I used to ice fish for pike all the time in Maine. And I used to have a lot of people that ripped me and hated me for it because they're you know, they, they are destroying a lot of the native species and, and trout and they pose a big threat to all the salmonids in Maine. And I learned that nuance kind of by trial through fire, right? Of like, hey, I love these things. Here's how to ways to catch them. Here, I'm taking these photos with them, blah, blah, blah. And uh, then I kind of got a little bit of trial by fire. Like, do you realize what these fish are and how they put pressure on these different native species. And my opinion has changed a lot on them. And I still love catching pike. And there are certain landlocked bodies of water that are in Maine that I think pike necessarily don't have a native home, but they're established there and good luck exterminating them, but also understanding that they do pose a risk if they get into different drainages that could, and if people transport them, because some people like catching pike and they, and I do not condone that. And then you start to affect different waterways. So uh, really nuanced conversation, but understanding the value of the resource and what does that resource need for balance? What is that resource theoretically supposed to be without our influence and trying our best to to put that as our goal? Really lofty, really difficult conversations. And I am far from the expert or speaking from the highest on the totem pole, but I do want that to be the goal and I want to be a part of the conversation. I think we do a, I think we do a pretty good job of putting the resource first. And I'll just use this, you know, as an example to kind of illustrate Blaine's position on some of these, some of these non-native species, you know, it's not like you just shrug your shoulders and you accept it and you're like, well, they're here now. And that's that like you, you really have to, every fish is so different and every, every environment is so different. You know, what I have in this, you know, coastal plain marsh where I live in, maybe a lot of the same species that Blaine fishes for, but their, their habits are different. It looks totally different. Where Kyle is in Maine, there's some overlap, but like, my goodness, is there, is it vastly different than where Blaine and I live in the mid-Atlantic? So 
you know, what you say about one region and where you live, it's like somebody saying, oh, I had the best striper fishing I ever had this year. Well, you might have in one tiny part of New Jersey, but it sucked for everyone else. So you just kind of, you know, you have to like look at things. And like Blaine said, don't look at that keyhole, but it is so nuanced that things have a different impact in different regions because biologically, you know, they may be better suited for one area than they are another. Um, you know, one of the things here that we've been saying for gosh, a, a long time was, you know, the Maryland, I mean, Maryland's just terrible. Let's just be honest. It's just, it's just a nightmare. So they turned like, you know, snakeheads into a Frankenfish. They had like a bee horror movie made about them. They were going to be crawling on land, taking babies out of strollers and everything. And the whole time we were just like, you've lost your effing mind because we have like these hundred pound blue catfish that are eating effing everything, everything they're eating. Blue Amen. That's a, that's a, you don't hear anything about that either. You don't hear nothing about it. The governor of Maryland, this is the one positive thing I can say. He tried to declare a fisheries disaster because of blue catfish. I think that was rejected. So now Maryland's going to try something new but like the simple fact that like snakeheads and blue catfish are discussed in the same sentence is maddening to me because you basically have like this solitary ambush predator that lives like so far back in the crap they live they can breathe air so they live where other fish can't live and that's their niche that's a snakehead's niche they live where other fish can't live and they eat a lot of frogs, and they eat a lot of killifish, and they'll eat little baby ducks. And they'll eat but let me tell you something. Blue catfish, blue catfish live anywhere, eat anything. They're catching blue catfish when they're trolling for stripers in the top 15 feet of the water column in 100 foot of water. These are not fat bottom fit. These things are uber crazed predators. And, you know, everyone's like, every time you put a picture of a snakehead up on social media, people are like, I hope you killed it. And you're like, you know, that should be the rule that every, you know, you're not allowed to release them. How Maryland has not come out with a kill every damn blue catfish you catch rule is beyond my comprehension. You should not be allowed to throw back a blue catfish. I, I'm, I've never been a wanton waste guy. I spent the better part of my life protecting resources. Kill every single one of these damn things that you catch. In the, in the mid-Atlantic in the Chesapeake Bay. Every one of them. I don't care. We need to be gillnetting these things and throwing them into effing landfills. They're eating, they eat everything. They eat everything from like literally aquatic mush, like algae. They've, the USGS has found yellow perch eggs in like the, the DNA when they get like the, you know, you get that goo in their stomach and you can't identify it. They'll send that to USGS. Well, yellow perch eggs are toxic. How the hell are you going to eat it? That's the only thing you can eat a yellow perch egg. And then, you know, they, they, they're eating. I, I never seen, there are no white perch. And Kyle grew up in the Chesapeake Bay white perch is the was the easiest thing to catch anywhere if there was a stick a rock and oh my god like 100 percent. you lived in the same neighborhood 100%. my parents lived in kyle how many white perch did you catch off those damn docks in that neighborhood a billion that was the that was the staple that was the staple or like always guaranteed we'd hope for some exotic you know some different stuff we wouldn't see as much but like white perch always i remember we ate it a ton as a kid too i mean it was it was like yeah it was like there was an, a conveyor belt um well, they through the water i fished and like everyone's kind of like what happened well you know um i i just anyway you know just i was piggybacking on what cody said because to be honest and forthright in any of this stuff, you have to be a little nuanced and you have to look at how it's impact impacting that region. And, um, you know, to, to just make blanket statements about a certain fish, you know, it may be different where Blaine is and even across the Bay where I am and certainly different where Kyle is. And I guess, you know, what I would just suggest is, 
do, you know, do your own research on this stuff and understand what the real problems are, um, you know, and, and, and make your decisions based on how you educated yourself, all the information's out there. Um, I'll tell you what, man, this was kind of, uh, this was kind of fun. I don't know if y'all liked it, but like, we, we're kind of like all over the place. It was like watching a ping pong ball. It's a little bit of shop talk. I like it. A little bit of shop talk. I dig it, man. It's fun. Keep it open-ended. Blaine, Blaine's just thinking about tomorrow. Yeah. No, yeah. Blaine, Blaine heard you say that this, the uh, snakehead are eating babies. And he's thinking, like, how can I do an articulated baby fly? <laughs> Blaine's like, got it. Roller carriage made out of foam. He's over there cranking. Uh, you know, I could uh, before we leave. So I'll, I'll tell you. That, I'll tell you where my that my brain is in that in that in that. Oh Lord, and, everybody, sit down. Smoke them yeah. if you got them. Here we go. Yeah. So and so podcast now. So I'm um I'm getting I'm writing an article for Fly Fisherman right now about um and this is a another controversial thing because I know you have a lot of different views and this is going back to my roots in trout fishing i mean i guided for trout for 20 some years um and you know i've gotten away from it here recently you know i thought it'd be a better idea to to start musky guiding uh with a fly pole so that was much better idea than just guiding for trout so um so so what i'm writing right now is, is i did one last year about uh movement and and, and nymphs Right, so I have these whole series of the game changer nymphs that it's, that that I, that I'm launching and, and it's part of my new book. But the, I'm getting, I'm promising, I'm getting to where where we what we were going to talk about here. Um, but so I'm working on a, another uh, part part two of that article and talking about dry flies and movement on dries. Right, so I'm doing. I'm, I think it's very important. Um, anybody that's ever smallmouth bass fished on the East Coast, again, not native, um, to uh, Virginia, um, for the most part, maybe, maybe the new and some of the other streams that flow into the Ohio, but, um, a lot of what, what happens in the summer after these fish get hit on a lot, um, you know, you could start your summer bass fishing, uh, with poppers, right. Or trout, I mean, for different things for poppers and whatnot. And eventually these, we're just dead drifting these bugs, right. And these fish will come up eventually and they'll start nudging them. And it, just to see if it's real or not, and then they'll they'll start refusing them like any trout would or big brown or whatever. Um, so I had to create that real realistic cicada because that's what they're taking these poppers for, right? So something was very um, interesting, and this is a topic that we can get into a little bit later. But um, Vince Marinero uh, wrote a book uh, in the Ring of the Rise, right? That's a classic. Um, but he, Vince Marinero, and Charlie Fox. Um, Charlie had, um, you know, that historic place on the the Latorte, right, where they would do studies of of bugs. So this article that I'm writing has has a history about this stuff, <laughs> and I promise I'm gonna get to a funny part of this. So, um, you know, f- f- movement on topwater bugs is just as important as movement on on, on streamers or bait fish imitations, crab imitations, and nymphs. I mean, because if you ever Google what a midge looks like in the water. I mean, they're moving around like they're on crack, right? So there's all, all these aquatic insects, whether top water or subsurface have a lot of movement. Uh, As a point of, as a point of order, uh, they actually are on crack in Baltimore in the tributaries in Baltimore, but please continue. (laughs) Yeah. I never forget this uh, moment um, on Mossy Creek back when I was in my teens. Um, And this is my creative mind and my artistic you know, uh, anyway, don't say anything. Um, so I was, we were trying to feed this really big Brown is probably a two footer. And, um, this actually was when I was guiding, um, and I was trying no, it was me and a buddy. That's what it was. Uh, and anyway, we, we were trying to feed this big Brown. It was tucked right tight to the bank and he would come out and look at our flies and wouldn't eat it, wouldn't eat it, wouldn't eat it. And, you know, Finally, we started collecting hoppers and beetles, those Japanese beetles all over the place. Um, that's back, you know, I, I know you've ever been in these, where I think these farmers would have these bags of these Japanese beetles. I don't know, somehow it attract them and you'd have thousands of Japanese beetles in these bags. So uh, we just were getting handfuls and feeding and trying to feed. And this goes back to a story with with Larry and, and, and Permit, which Kyle and I were talking about the other day when we were musket fishing. Um and how important movement is on, on all this stuff. And it, 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 I get super geeked out on what may, what 
what makes fish tick and how you're going to, what's the next best thing. But the funny thing is, is, you know, this brown trout would eat every offering that we gave them as long as the fly, as long as the beetle or the hopper was alive. As soon as it would, was dead, it wouldn't eat. Right. So that was an aha moment for me. But so thinking of something, now how can I get a beetle to, uh, to, to move? You know, uh, and now with all the articulations and stuff, there's ways that you can use it with the current and all. But this is where my brain was. Um, when I was a kid, we used to get these Mexican jumping beans. And, you know, and you, you, you guys familiar with what those are? So as they heat up, they'll start bouncing around. So I had it. I had several ideas. One, one, I wanted to start putting Alka-Seltzer powder on my flies to see if they'd start shaking around as it as the fizz started popping off of it the other thing was i was wanting to make a jap uh making japanese beetle with mexican jumping beans and have them heat up as much as i could and then start throwing them out in water and see them bouncing around <laughs> seeing if that works that's exactly where my brain goes on this kind of stuff you know how many times have you had a fish come up and look at your offering that didn't wouldn't eat it um it, some of sometimes some it's out here that's like we used to use deer hair and only deer hair and one hook. And now this Blaine guy's out here using all these shanks, ruining fly fishing. And now you're putting cold medicine in my damn flies. There's one. We just lost one subscriber here at some point at the one hour and one minute mark. He's pissed. Oh, yeah. Oh, that goes that goes to show. I mean, Kyle, I think he was with me when I, my buddy um, hit me up. He goes, did you see that post on facebook and I'm, i never get on facebook anymore i mean i just don't i don't i don't have time and whatever and he goes yeah man on your uh, there's a there's a game changer forum um and somebody got on there just to say how much he hated game changers and that uh that i'd ruined the sport of fly fishing you know that was that that kind of stuff because of that i mean it's way i hate to break the news but it was me yeah i, I hear you <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! Right, here we go. No, the best, the best, the best Cody's comment. Alien. I did see that, and the best comment on it was show us on show us on the doll where Blaine touched you. So we'll leave it. It was a, it was a meme and a little doll and a guy and it was a guy pointing to the doll and it's like point on the doll where Blaine hurt you. Um, <laughs> the other I one, didn't get a chance to see it. I just the other the other comment that had me and Cody like rolling on the floor. It was something to the effect of if Blaine did damage to the sport of fly fishing you've done damage to humanity please don't have children or i think i think they said like i'll pay for your vasectomy or something like that like there was, it was it, it, the guy I'll, I'll put it to you this right blaine like uh, the world defended you because the guy deleted all of his comments and like ran for cover um pretty well, quick thank, thank you all i greatly appreciate everybody's support man <laughs> Bodyguards, baby. Bodyguards, Blaine. Someone was like, they were like, yeah, I hate game changers. And the first response is like, I know, I suck at tying them too. Oh, that's funny. That's a good one. I mean, dude, he like, it is kind of like, I don't even know what. It was kind of like, uh, you know, walking into the bar, walking into a bar in Philly and just opening the door and go, Eagles suck. And then like, you know, you're just running for your life down the street. That's kind of how that guy's day went. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, what are you doing? Um, so I had a blast doing this and, uh, we definitely got to run this back and we'll bring in some different people for shop talk. This is a fun little different, uh, change of pace for us, but, um, I got to go, we got to hop off this one. Cause I got to go pick my boat up because yep. believe it or not, you buy a big fancy boat and you get all the latest technology and newsflash, they still break just like old ones. So, uh, <laughs> I got to do a little run here, but really excited i always appreciate is this always offends people for some reason when i say this in a group of old farts talking about fishing but i always appreciate as a young face getting to hear stories from all you guys and your travels and what you've lived and what you've learned so on behalf of the the uh let's say under 30 listeners thank you you two gentlemen kyle as well for leading the way and sharing stories to all the old people that i offended by calling myself a young face you'll be dead soon anyways i'm not worried about it but there's a way to roll a grenade in the room so oh uh, yeah <laughs> well listen listen y'all thanks thanks this was our first shot at this so if um you know if you we're not obviously look we're not we're still gonna do all the stuff that we did i look i look at this as we're just adding something new we're not taking away from anything that we did so um 
you know, more than anything, we just want to tell you all that we're, we're just regular people who love to fish and maybe by doing this, uh, y'all kind of get to know us a little bit better instead of being all serious and dour and telling you the, the world's ending in fisheries. Well, Tony, you know. hey, the last episode, me and you did the recap 2023, about an hour in, we did a little code word. We said, message us the code word. And we had dozens and dozens of people like right away, which we were, we were very, let's uh, reiterate, we were really humbled by like, we put out an hour and a half and people listened an hour and 20 something minutes at least uh really quickly like this isn't like how about cody how about this go around we'll do like you know we'll give away like a hat or shirt or something so let's do we have a couple patagonia fly rod travel cases and we got a bunch of patagonia with kyle and blaine we got patagonia guys on this so if you listen to this uh why don't you direct message either of our accounts, Instagram or Facebook, and say Protect Wildfish, which is a big part of Patagonia's ethos, and all, all four of us agree. Message us Protect Wildfish. We'll give away two. We'll put a number on it this time because last time I was like, hey, message us. We'll send some free shit, and I didn't know we were going to get that many messages that quick. So we got two travel cases that we'll get in the mail. to The the um, the rod t- Patagonia Rod Tacos, I think that's what that's what they're called totally sustainable product and they're actually pretty badass i've used them to travel a couple of times they're fantastic i can vouch for that i, I take them everywhere i go um, um and you just you just leave your rod tubes at home just take your sleeves your rod sleeves you know the socks or whatever you want to call them you know i've carried as many as uh half uh, many as i think i've carried about eight to even maybe even 12 in one before um you can get a bunch of rods in those things so um, it's great for doing destination travel. It's great. It's a really good product. So those that hung around long enough to listen to us, man, <laughs> you're going to get a good, and how's that going to work? Uh, first two that respond. Is that what's up? First, yeah, first I'll, two I'll that respond. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you all. All we look forward to doing one of these again. It's fun. I don't, we don't have to prepare for it. We can just act like the fools that we are and just say whatever's in our hearts because that's probably the thing that we're best at so we appreciate y'all listening to the guidepost uh shop talk i think maybe we just named it and uh look forward to giving y'all a whole bunch of episodes this year uh and in the weeks to come thanks for listening and thanks for coming thanks for being on here everyone adios y'all